This is the Way Family Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to hear God's Word. We invite you to join us in person Sundays at 10.30 a.m. at Lawfer Middle School here in Tucson, Arizona. We hope to see you soon. All right, so we started off in 1 Peter, and it's been quite, in my opinion, a challenging book so far, a challenging letter, in, that it, in the sense that it's very practical. Um, Peter wrote this to people who were under persecution, people who were experiencing some severe tribulation. We talked a little bit about Nero in weeks past. Nero was a vicious ruler. He was Caesar of Rome, and uh, he used the Christians as a scapegoat. He punished them for things that they weren't necessarily responsible for, but it was true that they would not bow to Caesar. (laughs) because they considered the Lord, rightfully so, their king, their God. And Caesar at the time was considered a deity to many, especially the Romans. And I don't know if you know this, but in Rome, half of the population there were slaves. And so a lot of them were used to just submitting and um, just being in the, in the, in the situation of, of slavery. And we'll talk a little bit about slavery next week in the weeks to come. But today I want to talk about uh, what Peter emphasizes here, and that's essentially crave the word and not the world. So here's our title, crave the wor- word and not the world. And so we'll dive into 1 Peter chapter 2. Now this is the next, in this next portion of scripture, we'll see that Peter is actually making a use of the Old Testament a lot. Now uh, you've heard me refer to the Old Testament and sometimes I, I use cross references into scripture because as preachers our, our job is to interpret scripture with scripture. You know, when we read scripture, we interpret scripture with scripture. We allow it to speak to us. It is very important that we don't necessarily eisegete, which means put our opinions into what the text is saying. You know, we can make it relatable. We can make it applicable um, as it applies to us personally. But what the text is saying, that's what it means. And there's no other way around it. And so I love what Peter does here. He references the Old Testament quite a bit in this chapter in this section here and so we'll, we'll take a look at that and he's what we call it exposing or expositing a number of portions from the ancient texts that were available to them at the time and so he continues to encourage his readers remember these readers are currently under severe and heavy persecution and christians uh should respond and this is this is ultimately our responsibility to the message that we have not just from scriptures but also from our salvation but we should respond in a way that um that, that we behave in a way that reflects God's saving grace over us, okay? So yes, we're saved. Yes, we have been redeemed from the grasp of sin, but that's not it. We've been called, and we've said this often, uh, from, the, the, from the penalty of sin, but we've also been saved to the work of the kingdom, to uh, go and bear witnesses of all nations, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. The very thing that has saved us, we should be inspired and moved and compelled to go and share with others. All right, and so that's how we should respond to our salvation, and we should continue to grow in it. And this is the message that Peter has for us. This passage that we're going to read here is very authoritative in its message, and all of it is noteworthy. So you're going to get a lot of takeaways from here, even before I give you some takeaways at the end. And so remember, I'm going to ask you what your takeaways are afterwards. There's going to be a Q&A section there. So make notes, okay? Take notes. 
Um, I, I love to hear what the Lord speaks to you as well uh, when we go through a passage. So it's always good to hear from one another to build each other up. This word is profitable. Second Timothy says that it's profitable for rebuke, for building, right? For teaching. And so this is why we dive into the word. This is essentially everything that we need. And we will get into that for sure today. Now let's read 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to focus on verse 1 through verse 12. And it says this. So put away all malice, all deceit, and all hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that, is, that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. We give you all honor and glory today. We thank you for your word. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would open up our hearts to receive it, that you would help our minds understand it, Father, that you would help us, Lord, uh, be good representatives, good ambassadors, Lord Jesus, uh, representatives of you, Father. Help us, Lord, be doers of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So there's a few references to the Old Testament. I don't know if you caught this, but we'll refer to them. But... Um, Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to break this up into three different sections. Um, and before we do that, I want to just note that the theme of this entire passage, if you want to underline it, it's going to be verse 2. That's it. That's really the, the biggest emphasis of this, of this section is long for pure spiritual milk. We'll get into that a little bit more. But that's the theme of everything. So everything that we're talking, everything that we're reading, pretty much stems off of this, this, this command to long for spiritual milk. And so, hence the title of the sermon, Crave the Word and Not the World, okay? So, let's break it down into three sections. The first section I'm going to uh, go into is a craving for the, wor for the Word. Wow, I keep trying to say world there, right? A craving for the Word, okay? The next thing we're going to look at is a stumbling block. We, we read that there's a stumbling block there, right? In regards to the 
Christ being the cornerstone. And then finally, we're going to look at the conduct by the word. So we ought to live in a way that reflects the word of God, okay? Not in a way that is kind of confusing and people have to wonder, are you a believer or are you not? So there is conduct that is expected of us according to God's word. So let's start first with, the, with, with uh, verse 2. I'm, gonna, I'm not forgetting verse 1. I'm just going to come back to it in a minute, okay? So verse 2 says this, a craving for the word. This is the first section. It says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Now let's go back a little bit here. Back in chapter 1, verse 22, uh, Peter used this same language of, of, of being uh, born again, of being like an infant. I'm sorry, not verse 22. It was, uh, I'm trying to think here. Ah, verse 3, he says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope, okay? So he's using this image, imagery of a little baby, of an infant, okay? Now, when we look in scripture, sometimes Peter, or actually Paul even mentions how sometimes we're stuck on spiritual milk or just milk, and then we need to go into solid foods. In this case, Paul, I'm sorry, Peter is not talking about immature Christians. He's talking to all of us, all right? He's saying, Across the board, we ought to crave spiritual milk like a newborn infant does. And so, like a newborn infant, um, this, 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 this infant, like how many of you guys have ever had an experience with an infant? I know you've all been an infant before, but how many of you guys have actually had an experience? So I personally had the experience of the privilege of raising two infants, my, my daughter and then a brand new baby born boy baby born, <laughs> newborn boy, uh, that my wife and I had to pick up from the hospital, okay? And so my experience with these infants were very different, radically different, in fact, because when my daughter was born, she didn't care about me in the least bit. I was dad, I was excited, she was born, she was cute, she was chubby, and I wanted to pinch her cheeks, and she was so, like, soft, and I wanted to hold her, and I really wanted her to love me and like me, but she didn't care for me at all. All she wanted was her mom. That's all she wanted. If I held her, she would cry. If she was with mom, she'd be happy and content. Why? Because mama was the source of food, right? She was the milk that she was craving. You know, babies don't care about anything when they're newborns. They don't care about the color of their blankets. That's really up to us. We think, oh, they need a pink one or a blue one with whales or elephants or dinosaurs, etc. That's really our preference. The baby doesn't care anything about that. Doesn't care what they're, what kind of diapers you use and it doesn't care what kind of uh, uh, um, uh, just how you decorate the nursery all it wants is milk that's what the baby wants and so my daughter when she was born she just wanted to be with mama and only mama could feed her so in the middle of the night how would she request her milk she would turn into a little viper in a diaper and just go Wah! right you would it's mind-boggling how a cute little baby born newborn could just make such a loud screeching sound and it's awful especially in the middle of the night but then you take the baby you put it baby with its mom the source of milk and it it's so content it's fulfilled it's got everything that it needs now that was the experience with my daughter with this boy that we had fostered we picked him up from the hospital and he was only born for a couple of hours before we got there it was almost the saddest thing I've ever seen, you know, to see this little, little boy in a crib. And we took him home. And this time I had the opportunity to feed him. I had to go and make the formula, 
you know? And so I, 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 I kind of gave him the nickname, my drinking buddy, because we used to drink together at night, you know? I would have a bottle of water and I would feed him his milk. But I had the privilege of being able to do that for him. We named him Jonah. And Jonah and I, Jonah and I would uh, get up in the middle of the night because, again, he would scream and tell everybody that he hates the world until he has milk. You know how babies are. But then when he saw me, he would light up because I was his source of milk. You know, I would go and make the formula. I would pick him up and I would feed him in the middle of the night. And we had this bond with him. So when Jonah saw me, he would light up. He would really love to see me. Same thing with my wife. So she got, you know, the double blessing because both of them and then uh, her, her children as well. And so it, it's just so cool to see a child's longing for their need, right? And that's milk. And this is, this is the, the, the imagery that Peter's using to, to tell us, hey, we need to long for God's word in that form. You know, sometimes we mind things that we shouldn't mind. We, we hyper-focus on things that are just not important. And in the grand scheme of things, the only thing that's really ne necessary for us is the Word of God, because His Word is life, right? We're saved by it. And so this is the call that we have is, crave the Word of God like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk. This is, this is, an, this is a good word, pure, right there. Like, I don't know about you guys, but... Uh, I started getting acclimated to bottled water. I, I, I prefer bottled water over tap. You know, I liked my Aquafina or whatever. It's, I like that it says purified water enhanced with minerals for taste. Oh, yeah, I can, ta I can tell that, you know, because then when I go and have filtered water or tap water, I don't prefer it anymore. I don't like it, you know, so it's, it's to the point where it's a bad habit. I'd rather buy bottled water just because it tastes better. It tastes pure to me. Right? Once you have a taste for something clean, something pure, you tend to long for that. Right? In the same way, we ought to long for God's word. And it says that by it, you may grow up into salvation. What does that mean? We've been saved for something. So when we're saved, we are given the responsibility to go and make disciples of all nations, to bear witness of Jesus Christ, right? To, to help people come to saving grace, that they too may be forgiven and share, you know, uh, in the glory of God for eternity. So we were saved to that. So as we dive into God's word, as we understand it, as we continue to grow in it, we're more and more able to do what we were called to do. That is to grow into our salvation, Right? To grow into the benefits of what we have in our salvation. That's what Peter's calling to do. So see, this is all action-based. This is a calling for you to get going, to do. This is not a just sit around and know this kind of stuff. This is know it and then do it. You know, because that's what makes the difference. I don't know why God cho chose to function that way, but he chose to work through his people. All right? And that's not, a, that's not up to us. That's up to him. Our responsibility is to be obedient. Amen? And so, like newborn infants, we ought to crave for the milk so that we may grow up into our salvation. And it continues in verse 3. It says, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, what Peter's doing here is he's referring to the Old Testament. Now, Psalm 34, verse 8. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And if you read that chapter, if Psalm 34, you'll see that the entire passage is about our dependence to the Lord and how we ought to long for him because he is indeed our refuge. 
Now, a few weeks ago, uh, actually several weeks ago, before we even left uh, the school here, I used an image of a little dove in the middle of a storm, right, to take refuge in the Lord. Uh, if you guys remember that, if not, I'll have to share that image some other time. But likewise, we need to take refuge in the Lord. We need to know that He is our source of safety or security, our source of food, right? Just like an infant highly depends on mom and dad for that sense of safety and security. Likewise, we need to taste and see that the Lord is good, good in the sense that He is faithful, right? He is um, someone who will keep his word, who is longing for relationship, for, or he, he wants relationship with us. And so th- in this sense, when we taste that the Lord is good, we put away the bitter fruit of unrepentance. This is what happens when we see, oh, wow, what God has for me is so much better than what I've been experiencing, like tap water versus bottled water. When we taste that the Lord is good, we put away the bitter fruit of re- unrepentance, Because Christ will not taste sweet to us until sin tastes bitter. And the reverse is true, right? Sometimes sin tastes sweeter than God and His Word. That's because we haven't actually tasted. We haven't actually been nurtured by God's Word. But the more we do that, the more we realize that my sin is really bothering me, right? And we want to get to that point. That's growing up. That's growing up into our salvation. See, the more we dig into God's Word, the more we crave it. Right? How many of you guys remember when you were first saved? It's like the Bible was what you had to keep reading. You had to keep going, keep going to it, right? We, we need to continue to crave that. I don't know about you, but the more I have something that is good for me, like uh, working out is really hard for me, but if I get into this rhythm of working out, it gets better and it gets easier. When you start a diet, you know, at, at first it's really hard, but then as you go, it's like, yeah, this is good. This is what I want to the point where the bad foods become repulsive, right? So this is the kind of rhythm that we need to uh, get into. The more we have the Word of God, the more we will crave it. And the more we consume this spiritual milk, the more we are built up by it. Look at what Romans 7.22 says. I delight in the law of the Lord, in my inner being. These are men who understand the importance of diving into into the Word of God and being fed by it, being built up by it. So Paul says this, that he delights in the law of God, in his inner being, his innermost being wants it, it craves it. Job says, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. Imagine wanting the word more than food. Imagine getting to the point where, man, I just have to hear from the Lord today more than I have to have breakfast or lunch or dinner. This is what Job is is saying. This is his experience with the words of God. He has tasted that the Lord is good. The psalmist in the first psalm says that the godly man is blessed because his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night constantly thinking of God's word, constantly thinking about how that applies to him, how, constantly thinking about how it grows him, how it helps him through trial, through tribulation, right, through persecution, constantly thinking about how the Lord loves us. And sometimes we think that his law or his word is restrictive. Sometimes we think that it's hateful in a sense. But no, when we taste and we see that the Lord is good, we love it, we crave it, we need it. In Psalm 19:10 it says that the word of God the words of God are more to be desired than gold even much fine gold sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb what a good 
image right there. Like, that's how good the word is for us. Again, the more we get it, the more we want it. It builds us up. It is good for us. It is not like chocolate cake, right? Where it eventually destroys us. No, the word is something that is upbuilding like milk is for an infant. And then if you read Psalm 119, I'm not going to read Psalm 119 today because it's a long one, right? But that entire psalm is about uh, being built up by the word of God. All of it refers back to the word of God and how important and crucial it is for our well-being. So Peter is clear. We need to remember our life source. We need to long for the word of God. That is our life source. So if we're feeling down, if we're feeling like we're drying up, if we're feeling like things are just not working out for us, if we're feeling like we're just ready to quit, remember your life source, and that's the word of God. Dive into it. Crave it. Develop a habit of consuming the thing that builds you up. And it will build us up. We will be built by it, and we will grow into our salvation. And the more we long for Jesus, who is the word, the more we come to him who is referred to Peter as a living stone rejected by men. Let's keep reading now. And so, verse 4, as you come to him, as you continue to come to him, a living stone. That's interesting. Why is Jesus being referred to as a living stone? Well, what Peter's doing here, he's again referring to the Old Testament. He says, come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. And so... What does he refer to? Psalm 118.22. He said, it says that the psalmist says that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. But more specifically, he's referencing Isaiah 28.16. How do I know that he's referencing Isaiah 28.16? Because if you go down to chapter 6, there it is. Isaiah 28.16. That passage in verse 6 is straight from Isaiah. Isaiah 28.16 says this. Therefore, thus says the Lord. Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. God gives Jesus that title, that stone. He has been called for it. He has been tested. He is precious. He is a cornerstone. It says there in verse 6, I am laying a stone in Zion, a cornerstone. What is a cornerstone? Have you guys heard of a cornerstone? We've seen businesses been named after cornerstone, right? We've seen ministries been named Cornerstone, etc. What is a cornerstone? Any idea? It's just something we hear. Well, let me show you. So what he's, a cornerstone is a, a stone that forms the base of a corner of a building. So in ancient architect, architecture, they didn't use ARCHICAD, Revit, or you know, those uh, AutoCAD programs that they use nowadays. The way it worked is they had to find a very strong, sturdy stone. And what they did is they set up the corners first. So say I'm a corner, my brother back there would be the other corner, and over there and over there. Those are the cornerstones, okay? Now these cornerstones were the ones who guided the rest of the building. So from here to that stone, we know that the wall is going to be straight. We know that the wall is going to be built from here to there. And those were the foundational things that needed to happen before the structure came up. But that stone needed needed to be a good one. All right. It couldn't be a soft stone. It needed to be rock solid, something that was able to support the structure. All right. And so this is a kind of a metaphor to what he's going to say here. He'll, Christ is the cornerstone and we are living stones. Let's keep reading. It says that verse five, you yourselves. Well, actually, I, ha- I had a picture, didn't I? Let me show you a picture. 
trying to help her out with the slides here. This is a cornerstone, okay? This is a drawing of a cornerstone. And so the stone was built there and everything else was built off of it. Let me show you an actual photo of an ancient building when they used to use that. Now that's a very big cornerstone, all right? <laughs> but I wanted you guys to get the image of that. But notice this, the rest of it, though. See how the, the cornerstone is, is foundational, it's into the ground, and everything is built from it. And so if we go into verse 5, it says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Living stones. So Peter's using this metaphor to describe Christians in relationship with Christ. So Christ is a cornerstone, and we function as the building blocks in the spiritual house of God. All right, he's the cornerstone, and we are those living stones, which is kind of an oxymoron because stones are not living, right? But they're permanent, and God brings life, and now we have everlasting life. Do you see that? Okay, so we're being built up as a temple of God. He is the cornerstone, he is the foundation, and we get to be part of that structure. We get to be those bricks that are formed off of it. This is how Peter's describing us. This is how we are being built up by the word of God, and to the point where we become a fortress, right? Impenetrable. Nothing can knock us out at that point if our life source is God. And he says that we're called to a holy priesthood. What was the function of a priest? Do you guys remember? Do you guys know what the function of a priest was? His function was simply, if we put it in simple terms, to offer God praise and thanksgiving. That's what he was for. And only the high priest had access to the presence of God. It was called the Holy of Holies, and he can only go once a year. And he had to be ready for it. Otherwise, he would come out being drugged out dead. All right. So being in the presence of the Lord was a big deal. And he's called us to that priesthood. He's called us to be those who, who offer sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Right. And not just that, he's giving us access to him because only the priests had access to him. Now we're being called to that so that we could be in the presence of the Lord. And that's only made possible through the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. If you remember when he was crucified, the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies was torn from top to bottom, right? This gave, this was a symbol of access. Now we can come freely to the Lord. Now we can have that personal relationship. We don't require that mediator for Christ is the mediator, the only one, the perfect one who can mediate between the Father and us. This is a benefit that we have in being part of the Lord's, let's say, building, right? The Word of God builds us to this. Now, verse 7, Peter begins to explain how the Word of God also has or can have an opposite effect on those who do not feast on the Word. And so for those who do not believe, the Word is a stumbling block. Let's take a look at the next section, the stumbling block, verse 7 through 8. It says this, So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. That is in, in reference to Isaiah 8, 14 through 15. What does this mean? Let's go to Isaiah 8 really quick. Let's, let's take a look at it. Isaiah 8, 14 through 15 and says, And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense. Christ will be a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a, ta a trap and a snare to inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble and on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. What is this saying? Now, when we are away from the will of the Lord, 
when we see the word of God or when someone brings up the law of the Lord, it is an offense, isn't it? It's like, don't tell me what I, that I can't do what I want to do. I want to do this. It feels good. It brings me pleasure. Don't tell me that it's wrong. It's sometimes like I don't want to hear what the Lord has to say because it messes up my groove, right? And it also is a, a stumbling block in the sense that when we continue to feed our sin, when we continue to grow into the sin that we are given to, right, that we're giving up to, then we start stumbling. Then our life starts falling apart. Then life starts getting real hectic, doesn't it? Then we get to the point where we're needing some kind of help. Relationships get broken. You know, life gets broken. Things come to be a loss. And so this is how the, the cornerstone can also become a stumbling block to those who are unbelievers, who are far from the will of God. It says they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. Now, I want to go back to verse 1. You thought I forgot verse 1, but I didn't. This is what Peter calls us to take off so that we are not stumbling, right? So that we don't fall into that trap uh, of, of getting suckered in by our sin. If we're going to be built up, if we're going to have a craving for the Word of God, we need to put off some things. And this is what he says. So back to verse 1. So put away. Put away means to strip off. It's a verb. It's something that you have to work at. Have you ever done woodworking? Anybody woodworkers? Have you ever used stripper, paint stripper to take paint off? It's hard work. You know, you have to really work at it. It's something you have to work hard for. Okay, in the same way, we have to work to put off these things that Peter's about to list. He says, put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, and all envy and slander. Put it away. Take it off like you do, what, like you strip paint off of a piece of furniture. All right, you have to labor at it. So, malice, what is this? This is an all-inclusive word meaning evil. All right, put away evil. Put away wickedness. It's the general evil of the heathen, all right? This is malice, kind of a broad word. He says, put it away, take it off, strip it off of you, get rid of it. Our command is to go after the elimination of it. It's like we actually consciously have to do that. It is work, put it away. And he says, all deceit as well. This word in the Greek was used to describe bait on a fish hook. Deceit to describe bait on a fish hook. Hook. If you um, see how a, a, the bait of a fish hook is very deceitful, isn't it? The fish thinks that it is a food source, and when it goes for it, it becomes the food source, right? That's what deceit does. We're tricked into thinking something, and it ends up being entirely something different. Wouldn't you hate to be a fish that went for the bait? Right, Tony? Yeah? And so that's deceit. Put away. Take it off. That's ultimate deception. It's dishonesty. It's falsehood. This is hidden sin. Deception is something that we can't see. All right? You know of it, and some may be able to see it, but ultimately it's hidden. So put away. Work at it. It says, put away all hypocrisy. Originally, this word was used to describe an actor wearing a mask. A phony. All right? A hypocrite. Like, that's not who you are. You're displaying yourself as something. But that's not it. It's not genuine. It's fraudulent. You know what a hypocrite is. Peter's saying, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Envy. That's wanting what others have. Wanting to be what others are. 
resenting their opportunities, their situation, their status. This leads to grudges, bitterness, hatred, conflict, discontentment. Get rid of it. This is what he's saying. So that you could start craving that milk and being grown by it. These are the things that are going to cause you to stumble. The stumbling block will get you if you're into these kind of things. Put it away. Put away all slander. What is slander? It's defamation. It's malicious gossip. It's tearing down of other people. I don't know if you've ever been slandered. I have had the experience of being slandered. It's awful, you know, and I'm pretty sure that I've done it to others. And I'm sorry that I've ever done that kind of thing. We need to put it away because our, our natural instinct is to do these kind of things to make us seem a little bit more than we are. Put it away. Now, notice that there's a chain of reaction. Check this out in verse one. Put away all malice because malice, all evil leads to deceit. Deceit leads to hypocrisy. Hypocrisy leads to envy. Envy leads to slander. And you can't have one without the other. It's, it's literally a chain of reaction. You're not going to slander someone unless you envy the person. You're not going to envy the person unless you're phoning, you're desiring something, you know, that that person has. You're going to be hypocritical about it. And you're not going to be hypocritical unless you're trying to deceive someone, right? And you're not going to try to deceive someone unless there's evil in your heart. So put it away. It's, it's a chain of reaction that literally causes us to stumble. And the word of God becomes a stumbling block for those who desire that more. Now look at what Paul also has to say about putting off. It says putting away, put it off. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, 22. I need to find it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 24 says, put off your old self. That put off is the same word like to strip off, to take off. Your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self. So put off the old self, put on the new self created after the likeness of God, true righteous and holiness. So we don't just put things off. We have to put on new things, right? It's like when you're getting uh, uh, over an addiction. If you have addic addiction to, let's say, tobacco or nicotine, you quit the cigarettes, but usually you take gum or something like that or a patch or something like that, right? You have to substitute with something. You have to fill that in. And the best thing to do is fill it in with the word of God, all right? Put on this new man that comes, the sanctified man that comes from hearing of the word and doing of the word. The word is what ultimately builds us up to be like that temple that's described here in 1 Peter. Now let's go back to 1 Peter 2.9. 1 Peter 2.9. And this is the, the final portion. It's conduct yourselves by the word. Conduct by the word. Okay, let's look at it. You are a chosen race. We've talked about that before. You have been elected. You have been predestined. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. That means that you now have access to the Lord. You have been set apart for him. We talked about being holy last week, didn't we? A people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. That's what we've been saved to, to proclaim. This is our God-given purpose. We have been saved to this, to be witnesses of the goodness of God. We don't just sit around, twiddle our tongues, and wait for Jesus to come. We go and we do what we can to expand the kingdom of God, okay? We, this is growing into our salvation. This is what we've been called to. This is how we ought to conduct ourselves. Everything that we do, everything that we say should be with that in mind. To, to bring God glory and honor because, 
It says this, you were called out of darkness into his marvelous light. You were once not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Here goes Peter again. Now he's referencing Hosea. All right. If you go back to Hosea chapter 1, 9 through 10, and Hosea chapter 2, 23, God actually calls Hosea to marry a, uh, a prostitute. And he, they have children, and God says, name your children, not my people. Name your child, not my people. Name your child, no mercy. Wow, why? Because you have been like that woman that you've married. You have prostituted yourself against me. That's what God's telling Hosea. That's the message. But there is this redemption factor, and it only comes through Jesus Christ. Those who were not my people are now my people. Those who had no mercy now have mercy, and it was all through Jesus Christ alone. And so here's what Peter's doing. is referring to that and seeing how all of this is fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And this is exactly what we get. This is exactly how we're encouraged when we dive into the Word. John describes the Word to be Jesus. Jesus is the Word. The more we are in relationship with Jesus, the more we experience God's mercy, His compassion, His love, his, the life that is given through Him. And then it continues to say in verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Remember, he's talking to the exiles, right? To the elect exiles. We are exiles. If we have been saved by Jesus, we are not of this world, okay? This is not our permanent home. We're passing by. Life is hard here, okay? You are a sojourner in this world. There's something ahead for you, something to look forward to. Don't be satisfied with this because you just don't fit in here, and that's okay, all right? But you, who, as sojourners and exiles, you need to abstain from the passions of the flesh. And we talked about those in verse 1. They wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Now, these passions of the flesh wage war against your soul. I'm going to do a little illustration here. Hey, can I borrow you, Mike? You big guy. Come on. Uh, let me try. No, can I borrow you? Yeah? See, the passions of the flesh wage war against us. So, Mike, you're going to be the flesh. Here's the flesh in the flesh, right? You're going to be the spirit, all right? And here I am, Mr. Brandon, right? Now, we all have a flesh, and we all have a spirit, right? And we're all kind of linked up like this, always. And the flesh desires the things of the flesh. And the spirit desires the things of the spirit. So the spirit wants and has a longing for the Lord. Feed me. Give me that spiritual milk. The flesh has a longing and a desire for the things of the flesh. Give me the passions, right? Now, notice who's bigger here. The flesh. So who do you think is going to win if we start tugging and we start asking for what we want like a baby screams and hollers for milk? Who's going to get their way? The poor little spirit here looks malnourished. The poor little spirit here has no chance against this big, bad flesh, right? This flesh is going to take what it wants. But, but if we nourish our spirit, if we dig into the word, if we bolster it up, this turns into like his dad, big, you know, strong. And to the point where this gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And before we know it, we are winning, right? The, the spirit is winning over the flesh and it becomes easier to drag this little guy around, right? He becomes nothing. Thank you guys so much. Like that, the flesh wages war against us and the spirit. And so we need to continue to feed that. The more we feed the flesh, the more it'll win. 
The more we feed the Spirit, the more it'll win. Do you see that? And we feed the Spirit by consuming the words of God, by diving into His Word. And so it says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. What does that mean? That means that we must maintain good conduct. We must behave ourselves in a way that reflects Jesus well. There's nothing worse than to say that you're a Christian you don't act like it. There's nothing worse to say that you love the Lord but you don't show it whatsoever. We need to conduct ourselves in a way that we live in a, in a, in a, in a form that's worthy of the gospel, meaning when we share the gospel with someone, people see, yeah, there's a change in you. There's something about you that I want, that I desire, right? That's how we ought to conduct ourselves. So everything that we do, everything that we say should bring glory to God, right? It should, it should put him on the spotlight. It should be that our desire is for him to be known above all things. That is to conduct yourselves in a way that is honorable. And it says among the Gentiles, that's the people around us, people who don't have any idea of what it's like to be Christian, or they have misconceptions of Christianity or the Word or, or Jesus Christ. We need to be good examples to those who are around us, to those who already have formed bad habits, right? That's just what they know. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, you may see your good, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That's a common metaphor for God's final judgment, the day of visitation. So when the Lord returns, all right? At the end of the day, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's how we ought to conduct ourselves. That's what we ought to grow into. That's what we ought to long for. And we do that by craving the word. So how do we apply this to our life? I'm going to give you three takeaways. First one, remember your life source. What's your life source? Remember your life source. The Word of God is your life source. So when you're feeling blue, when you're feeling down, when you're feeling discouraged, when you're feeling weak, that's when He is strong. All right? Remember that. Come to Him. Uh, John 6, 35, Jesus says this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Come to Him, all who are weary and burdened, and He will give you rest. All right? Remember your life source like a baby craves milk, right? That's how we ought to think of the word. And like Paul, uh, I like the way Paul said it actually when he was speaking to the Stoics and the Epicureans in Acts 17, 28, when he was in Athens, he says this, in him we live and move and have our being. In him we are indeed his offspring, all right? We move, we live because of him. So let's go back to him. Remember your life source. Takeaway number two, eliminate your sin. Sin is going to cause you to trip. And the very word of God will make that happen. Will make you fall in your sin because the Lord detests sin. Proverbs 28, 13 says, and this is wisdom right here. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Okay? Eliminate your sin. Put it off. Get rid of it. Take it off. Whatever that may be. Okay? Take away three. Pursue growth. You're not done. How many of you guys have the Bible down already? How many of you guys have reached perfection? No? Nobody? I've never met anybody yet. You know? We have to continue to grow. We have to continue to learn what the Lord is telling us. We have to be well versed in the scriptures. We need to know what the Bible's saying. And we need to be able to be humbled by it and grow and be taught from it, okay? 
that glorifies God. That helps you glorify God with your actions. The more you know how to conduct yourself, the better job you will do. The, the least likely you are to stumble, right? And so pursue growth always. And I love Paul's prayer to the Philippians. I'll read it to you, Philippians 1.9. It says, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. The more we dig into this, the more we dive, the more we will have a love for one another, the more we will have a love for Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We love you. We praise you. Lord, help us, Lord Jesus, just put off the old man. Help us, Father, get rid of the things that cause us to stumble. Thank you for your word that is constantly refining us, renewing us, and building us up to be that fortress, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you are so foundational, that you are permanent, and that you don't change. You are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And Lord, we love you. We praise you. We ask that you would allow us, Lord Jesus, to grow, that we would not settle where, where we are. Father, and Lord, please give us that craving for your word. Take us back, Lord Jesus, to our life source. Lord, help us understand in a way that it's just so fascinating. We love it. We've got to have it. And Lord, we're here, Lord Jesus, because we need you and we acknowledge that. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen. And amen.